0: This is the West Concord Sermon Podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you receive a blessing from today's message. So good to see everybody on this beautiful Labor Day weekend Sunday, the first Sunday of September. So we're going to start a new series today, and I've entitled it, I Am a Church Member. Now I would love to tell you that I originated that title, but I did not. It comes from a book of the same name by Tom Rainer. And we looked at this a few years ago, and I think it's time for a look again. Because of all that we've been through this last year and how COVID and everything else has sort of changed things, have sort of rattled our world. So we're going to talk about the church, and we're going to specifically talk about what it means to be a church member over the next few Sundays. What I want you to do as we begin today is forget everything you've ever known, heard, or learned about church. Forget everything you've ever known, learned, and heard about church. Because there are things that you've learned, things that you've grown up with, things that you understood about the church, that if we do this right, we're going to blow them to smithereens over the next few weeks. With the purpose as we talked about in Sunday school this morning, with the purpose of making the church and glorifying God in the church and making the church what God wants it to be. And this morning is going to be kind of introductory. We're going to look at the idea of what is a church? What is a church? And that's the question I want to pose to you this morning. What is a church? Again, you think about churches that you perhaps have been to, Churches that you've heard of, churches that you've seen in media. Maybe as you drive down some of the tree-lined avenues of our locality here, you see all sorts of different churches. See red brick church buildings, white board church buildings, storefront church buildings, cathedral-like church buildings. Because quite possibly when I said there are many churches and what is the church, a building came into mind. A building came into mind. Well, let's do this. Let's get rid of this idea of a building. Because this building that we're in is not a church. It's a church building. It's a house, in a sense. When you think of the church, if you're a believer, I want you to get your own face in mind. You are the church. I am the church. And we're here, as we learned in Sunday school this morning, we are here for a purpose. We are here for a reason. And it's not the reason many people believe it is. I quote this often because it just startled me when I first read it. And it's been a few years, so maybe it's changed. But Gallup did a poll asking people, what is the purpose of a church? What is a church for? And 86%, excuse me, 86% of the respondents said that the church's purpose is to take care of me and my family. I had to read that twice. And then 14%, give or take two or three, you know how those polls go, say that the church exists to bring honor to the Lord Jesus Christ and to be a lighthouse in the world. Clearly, even though this data is a little old, I need to get it refreshed, clearly it sort of paints a picture, doesn't it, of our expectations And listen, people in church have expectations. I know, I've been in the ministry a while. People have a lot of expectations of their pastor, of their church staff, of their deacon body, of their Sunday school teacher, of each other. Oh, we got expectations. This is the way the church should run. This is the way the church should carry on. This is what the church should do. And by the way, if I don't like what you're doing, I'll leave and go find another church. Because today we pick churches like we pick burger joints, banks, and bags of potato chips. Whatever works for us at the time. So what is a church? Well, the church in the scriptures is a called out assembly. The Greek word, as we've said so many times, ekklesia, is a compound word. It means called out Called out assembly. You know, that, that definition, whenever you see the word church in the New Testament, that's the word that's used, by the way. And it's interesting because it never speaks of buildings. That word has nothing speaking of buildings. That word has nothing in that word speaking of boards, a deacon board, an elder board. There's no board in that. People get bored in church, but that's their spiritual problem. That's not necessarily in the word. It doesn't speak about programs in that word. It doesn't speak about denominations. It simply means a called out assembly, called out from the world, called out for the glory of God, called out for the purpose of God, as we learned in Sunday school, called out for the mission of God. As a matter of fact, I love what one fellow said, William Temple Talking about the church, the called out assembly, he said, the church is the only cooperative society in the world that exists for the benefit of its non-members. We're a called out assembly whose job it is to reach to reach out to the lost and bring them to Jesus. That is why we are here. Series over. Let's go eat lunch and go home. No. The church is a called-out assembly, and the purpose of the church is to go out in the world and to preach the gospel. The purpose of the church, this assembly, is to go out and bring people to a deeper walk with Christ, a relationship and fellowship with Jesus Christ. That is all the church is supposed to be doing as its main thing. That's why we are here. That's why we exist. We need to make sure that we understand that if any of the next few weeks is going to make any sense. We need to make sure we understand that concept if anything the scriptures say about the church is going to make sense. See, we live in a day and age where we don't try to make sense out of scripture. We've become relativist in our belief and thinking. Used to be that when you read scripture, you read it for what it said and you did what it told you to do. But now if you go into a modern Bible study, you'll have a, a facilitator there. That's a nice word. And he, will sh- he or she will sit there and they will talk and they'll read Scripture and say, well, what does this mean to you? It doesn't matter what it means to you and I. It matters what God meant it to mean. What matters is what do we do with it. So when I preach these series and any series... God is teaching us through me. And listen, I'm a very imperfect teacher. I'm an imperfect conduit. That's why you need to have your Bible, whether a Bible or your device or whatever, have the word of God. Because we are going to upend what we believe and understand the church to be and basically why we exist and what we're to do. So as we dive into the word, let's have a word of prayer as we take on this challenge. Father, we are grateful to be here this morning. Father, what a wonderful privilege it is to gather as your church. You have called us out of the world to gather together as a corporate body, your body, to worship you and to give you honor. Father, there is no better activity for a believer to do on Sunday morning than to worship you. And I thank you these here have chosen to do that. Bless them for that purpose. Thank you for them, Lord. And I pray as we open your word, you would continue to bless us, enrich us and train us. We pray in Jesus name. Amen. So what is a church? When is a church, a true church? So what I want us to do over the next few weeks is take West Concord Baptist Church and put it up against this ruler of God. This this measuring rod of God, not only our church corporately, but also you specifically, because you're a member of the church. And I want you to put yourself, not your neighbor, not your wife, not the guy across from you, not the lady behind you. I want you to put you against this little canon of measure. And ask yourself honestly and truthfully, am I a real church member? Am I what God intends a church member to be? But let's understand church. When is a church truly the church? When are we being what God wants us to be? Take your Bibles and go over to Matthew Chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. It's interesting. We're going to ask this question and we're going to look at a passage placed in the Gospels and understand this. The Gospels tell us the events that led up to the establishment of the church up until this point. The church had not been established yet, but we're going to look at the establishment clause this morning. And in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus had been wrangling with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He'd been doing ministry. And uh, Jesus had a very active and busy ministry. And he was constantly challenged on all sides. From the Herodians, they were the political zealots. To the Pharisees, they were the religious conservatives. And the Sadducees, they were the liberal, uh, religious liberals. He was challenged by all kinds of people. He, he was challenged by the dullness of his disciples. And sometimes it was just necessary for him to pull them all aside with him and have some quiet time. To just spend time with the 12 guys that he traveled with. And in this place that we open up in Matthew 16, Jesus has pulled them aside to a private place and he's sitting down there with them and he asks them a question. It says in Matthew 16 and verse 13, it says, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea in Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, here's the the question, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? So he asked them a question, what's everybody think? What are people saying about me? And he calls himself here the, the title the Son of Man. That's a unique title of the Messiah. That's a unique title of the Messiah, speaking of the fact that while he is 100% God, he is also 100% man. And he's asking them, what's, what's, the, what's the pulse? What's the poll? What are people saying about me? And that's a good question, but he had a reason for asking this question. And here are the answers. Look what it says in verse 14. So they said, well, some say John the Baptist. John the Baptist was leading a movement and he was killed. He was beheaded. And they think maybe here are a resurrection of John the Baptist. Some Elijah, the prophet of the Old Testament. And others Jeremiah and, uh, or one of the prophets. You know, obviously Jesus' ministry had power. It had impact. Jesus knew the scriptures. Jesus had had appeared to many to have the the blessing and the message of God. So people are saying, oh, you're people saying you're John the Baptist resurrected. Some people would say you're Elijah come back or Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. You know, that's the trouble you get into when you take a poll. When you go online and ask people, what do you think? Because generally you're going to get answers, but they're going to be mainly answers that are based on emotion, hearsay and gossip. And not necessarily on truth. But Jesus let him answer, What do you guys think? What are are people saying? What are your friends saying? What are your family? What what, what do you hear? And he got all of those answers. Look at verse 15. Then he said to them, Now he's going to zero in. He said to them, Okay, but who do you say that I am? And this is what God is doing with us right now. As we've gathered this Sunday morning, you're out and about, you're on social media, you're at job, you're at school, you're doing all this stuff. And you hear, oh, Jesus is this, the church is that, preachers are this, deacons are that. But this morning, as we open the scriptures, I believe God is looking right at West Concord saying, who do you say that I am? Because this determines the foundation of what a church really is. At this point, Jesus is about ready to announce and establish the foundation of his church. And he's saying, who do you say that I am? And here's the thing, folks. Who you believe Jesus is will determine what you believe the church is. Who you believe Jesus is and what you believe his mission to be and what you believe his priorities are will determine what you believe this church and any church of Jesus Christ is. I put a little rant on Facebook a few months ago. I said, I'm the pastor of a church, not a club president. I'm not interested in a secret handshake or a nice jacket. I'm not here to make you feel good about yourself. I'm not here to pat you on the head. I'm not here to do all of these things. I'm here to be Christ's spokesman. I'm here to to bring you to the place where you are Christ's spokesman and women. To where you go out and represent Christ. We are a church, we are not a club. I am not the club president. If you want a club president, let me know so I can get out of the way so you can go find him. We are the church of Jesus Christ to the glory of God. So Jesus is asking his disciples, who do you say that I am? And I believe as God is looking you right in the eye this morning and he's asking you, who do you say that I am? And there is a right and wrong answer. And here he is. Don't you love Peter? Peter was this guy that if he's in a room and somebody asks, if Peter's going to be the guy who's going to go, Ooh, 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 I know. <laughs> Peter's always that guy. And understand this about good old Peter. He didn't get it right all the time. See, that's a wonderful thing about people in the Bible, personalities. They, they struggled with life just like you and I do. I don't get it right all of the time. You don't get it right all the time. Boy, Peter, he not only got it right all the time, he broadcasted it. You read the gospel, Peter's always putting his foot in his mouth. Except this one time. Peter gets it right. In verse 16, it says Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Peter got it right. He nailed it. Sad part about Peter is just in a little while he would then turn around and deny that he ever knew Jesus. We're fickle like that. We'll shout and roar for Christ one minute, and then when we're challenged, we'll scurry off into a corner and hide. Peter Peter did that. Peter struggled, but this time he got it right. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And here's Jesus' answer to him. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So Peter got it right. And he was saying, you know, this isn't knowledge that you came up with, Peter. God must have spoken through you. You at this moment were in tune with the Spirit of God. You know, when we do say things right like this, that's when we're in tune with the Spirit of God. How often, church, are we in tune with the Spirit of God? And so now we come to the focus of our, our study today. We're going to look at what is a church and when is a church the true church? Because Jesus is going to lay the foundation right here. This is the this is the, the, the the vision statement of the church. This is the beginning of what would become the church. This is what the church is supposed to be like. So let's, let's dig into it. And we ask the question, what is a church? When is the church the true church? And first, we're going to see that Jesus is going to tell us it is the church when it is established on Christ. Look what Jesus says. In response to Peter, he said, you know, you got it right, Peter. He said in verse 18, and I say to you that you are Peter, His name was Simon, Simon bar Jonah, Simon, the son of Jonah, which is what that means in the Hebrew designation. This is where Peter gets his nickname because that was his nickname. We know him as Peter, but that was his new nickname. And this is when Peter gets that. And he says, as you, and I also say to you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church. Now, there are some religious traditions that say, well, Jesus built his church on Peter, and Peter became the first pope. Well, that's not what this is saying at all. As a matter of fact, in his declaration, Jesus is making a word play. He said, I'm going to call you Peter. The Greek word there is Petra, which is a small, tiny rock. A small rock, a stone. And then he says, Upon this rock, he uses another Greek word, petros, which means a large, grand stone. In other words, Peter, you are a small part of this, but your declaration that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God, I am the rock. On this rock, I will build my church. The Bible tells us in Peter, 2, uh, 1 Peter Chapter 2 that Jesus is the cornerstone of the church. He is the foundation of the church. And that's what the church is built on. When it is established on Christ, that's when the church is a church. When Jesus says on this rock, not little Peter, but the rock, that proclamation of Christ as the Savior, Messiah. He is the rock upon which the church stands. It doesn't stand on purses. We've just had two finance meetings this last couple of weeks. A lot of work goes into making sure our church operates in a business fashion. And I appreciate those who work hard and have that kind of skill and intellect to do that. I really do. One of the things that we can be glad about here at West Concord is this church operates with financial integrity. I love it when I have new members classes and I'm able to tell the church all the ways this church handles money. Because there are churches that don't do that very well. I've been involved in them. I've seen them in the past, how money is handled, and it's heartbreaking, and it's sad. But understand this about the church, it is not built on money. This church could not have a dollar in the bank, and it could still be the church of Jesus Christ. I remember when we were planning to move out on this property. I remember the rumors that were flying, oh, brother, my... We're going to have to earn and borrow $8 million to build that building. I'm thinking, what in the world are you going to build? (laughs) We didn't have enough acreage to build $8 million worth, but that was the rumor that was going around. And then I had one lady come into my office wringing her hands the morning we were going to vote. And she said, oh, Brother Mike, we're not going to be able to make that $10,000 a month payment. Brett, are we paying $10,000 a month? No. No. And I remember getting in front of the church that Sunday morning and said, Listen, we're going to be obedient to God whether we have a million dollars or one dollar in the bank. Because our church is not built on purses, it's built on Jesus Christ. Not only that, but it's not built on personalities. There are many churches out in our celebrity-driven culture that are built on the well-known pastor. Y'all are blessed because nobody knows who I am. Amen? Mm -hmm. And I like it that way. Because, bless God, if I get somebody mad in the worship service and they happen to be somebody who works in the restaurant I'm going to eat, I don't want them spitting in my food. (laughs) But we get so many celebrities. We get Christian celebrities. And, oh, I'm going to the church because that guy is the pastor. Or I'm going to read her book. Or I'm going to, because we get so caught. Listen, the church of Jesus Christ is only built on one person, and that is Jesus Christ. One day I'm gonna leave, I'm gonna retire, I'm gonna go, God's gonna call me out, there'll be another individual up here preaching, and if he is a preacher of the word of God, you're gonna be fine. Because the church isn't built on me, it wasn't built on Bill Poor, it wasn't built on Bill Byrd, it not built on Aaron Thomas, Richard Reed, Mike Brooks. It's built on Jesus Christ. It's not built on purses, it's not built on personalities, and it is not built on programs. Now, programs are good. Uh, Don't get me wrong, but, you know, people choose churches over. And this is interesting. When I read the statistics of people choosing churches, they'll choose a church that has good programs, even if the church does not have good doctrine. Oh, but they have a good children's program. Yeah, they believe that little green men live in the lights, but that's okay. They make my kids have a good time. And it's important that we have programs. We need them at times to function. But programs are expendable. The church is not built on programs. It's built on Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ, a church becomes the church when it is established and trust in Jesus Christ. And finally, it is not built on traditions. Oh, I can hear the storm clouds now. It's not built on traditions. The old phrase, that's the way we've always done it before. Wipe that out of your mind. There are good traditions, good traditions that communicate the gospel, good traditions that keep us up. But I'll tell you, there's some traditions that are nuts. And I'm not going to get into it because I'll get somebody in here mad at me. Or they'll look at me like they did when I first moved here and say, well, you don't know what you're doing, brother Mike. You're from Florida. Here's a clue. We have churches in Florida. (laughs) A church is a church when it's built on Christ. When he becomes the rock of the church. Doesn't matter how much money you have or don't have in the bank. It doesn't matter who is standing up in the pulpit. As long as he communicates the truth. It doesn't matter how many bristling programs and fancy things you have. What matters is... Is Jesus Christ the center? Not tradition, but trust in Christ. That's when a church is a church. It is also a church because Jesus said as much. Notice he said, I will build. He said, notice he said, you're Peter, you're a small thing, but I will build. He Let me just, I got to get, I get so caught up and excited. Y'all forgive me. Okay. And I also say to you that you're Peter and on this rock, Jesus is the rock. I will build my church. That brings us to our next understanding of when a church is a church, and that is when it is erected by Christ. Notice he said, I'm going to build this church on the rock, which is the declaration and the truth of Jesus Christ. He is the foundation. But it also tells us, he said, I will build my church. We read over that, but it's full of good, good theology and understanding. So a church is a church when it's erected by Christ. I will build my church. First of all, understand this. He is the owner. This is his church. This is not Mike Farley's church. This is not your church. Oh, but I hear that all the time. Brother Mike, I got to do this because this is my church. This is my church. It's my church. And we go into different places in the building and we lock up rooms because that has my stuff in it. This is my Sunday school room. Nobody's allowed to go in there. I don't tell you all this, but some days I get so mad at that, I get my keys and I go into every Sunday school room in this building. I go in there and I touch your stuff. Doesn't belong to me. It doesn't belong to you. He is the owner. Notice he said, I will build my church. This church doesn't belong to any of us. It is his enterprise. It is his organization not only that but he is the architect I will build my church oh but we get so caught up in trends oh this is the new trend of church growth and we get caught up in programs that church growth church growth let me tell you how churches grow how does Jesus grow the church how does he build the church he builds the church by people coming to Jesus Christ that's how he builds the church There is no program, there is no plan, there is no trend, there is no fad out there that's going to build the church better than Jesus Christ will build the church. He uses the gospel to do that. He uses willing participants to do that. See, I I don't own the church, and as far as building the church, the church doesn't fall and rise on Mike Farley. Oh, I'm supposed to be faithful. He uses me, he uses you in that. But he is the owner, he is the builder, I'm just a subcontractor. I'm just here to help with the drywall. But Jesus Christ is the one who will build it. So how does he do it? He uses you and I to go out and to bring people to Christ. You know what we do in the church in America today? We trade members. All of a sudden the church in town, they have a great praise band and they have this celebrity preacher and they have this cool new building and everybody wants to go and be a part of the happy clappy church. And they run to that until something annoys them or it gets boring and then they'll go run to the other church. There are people who change churches more than I change my socks in a given week. They go from church to church to church. Let me tell you something. You and I are responsible to build, not trade members with other people, but, you know, we're responsible to bring people to Christ. When was the last time we baptized anybody? When was the last time we had a new person coming to know Christ as Savior? You say, oh, I've been going to worship service. It doesn't happen here. It's generally not going to happen in a worship service. You know where it's going to happen? It's going to happen in your classroom at school. It's going to happen at your job, in your cubicle, in the cubicle next to you. It's going to happen across the fence in your backyard. See, that's where the work of the church goes on. We gather. We're the called-out assembly. We're gathered to get excited about Christ. We're gathered to worship Him. And through worshiping Him, we're to be energized and educated and equipped to go out and be the church. The most important work of the church happens Monday through Saturday. We come to the base here to get equipped, to get enriched, to get, to get excited, to worship the Lord and to give Him glory. And then we're supposed to go out and build, do the work rather that He wants us to do to help Him build the church. But at the end of the day, it's Jesus that builds the church. He is the owner, he is the architect, and he is the builder. It is not grown with trends. It's not going to happen. I don't follow them. You probably noticed that. We're not going to do the next church growth trend. Church will grow when you grow spiritually, and church will numerically grow when you grow through bringing people to Christ. He is the architect. He designed the church. It's supposed to be done his way, not your way. I love that phrase. I might have said it last week, but somebody came up one time and said, oh, I, I didn't much care for the music. And I didn't really like your message. And it was a little too hot in there. I just didn't care for your worship service this morning. And I love the answer. somebody, I think it was Francis Chen who said, well, that's OK. It's not for you anyway. This isn't about you and I at all. It's about him. The church is the true church when it is established on Christ. The church is the true church when it is erected by Christ. I will build my church. And finally, Jesus said the church is the true church when it is engaged for Christ. Notice what it says as he continues in Matthew. He says this, I will build my church, ending in verse 18, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. In other words, the church is not supposed to be sitting in the pew enjoying the program. We are to be out and about doing the work. That is our task. He gave us our task. In the end of each gospel, go into all the world and preach the gospel. In the book of Acts, he said, you shall receive the spirit of God and he will empower you. And you will be witnesses to me to Jerusalem, Judea, to Samaria and to the other ends of the earth. Nowhere did I hear anything about a building. Nowhere did I hear anything about a program. Nowhere did I hear anything about personalities or boards. Go preach the gospel. Go take the word. That is our task. And as we storm the gates of hell, what are the gates of hell? The gates of hell are worldly philosophies that would seek to deny God. The gates of hell are sins that would seek to hinder someone from coming to Christ. The gates of hell are those obstinate situations and people who would want to deny Christ. The gates of hell involve anything that would shut out godly people. We as the church are supposed to storm those gates. We're to be out there running into them and, and with the good news of Jesus Christ, shoving them open. But instead we run and hide in our little building. We don't need to do that. That's our task, go into the world and preach the gospel. What What is our target? Well, our target are the people. The target, it's the people, the ungodly, those who are lost. Oh, brother Mike, I support missionaries overseas. Here's the thing about that too. You are a missionary. Your missionary work goes not overseas. It might go over the dinner table. You might have family members that don't know Christ as Savior. Your your mission field is not overseas. It might be over the backyard fence. It might be over the cubicle partition. It might be over the bleacher. Wherever you work, whatever you do, wherever you go to school, that is your mission field. As a matter of fact, when we walk out these doors this morning, we are entering our mission field. Say, Brother Mike, I wasn't called to missions. No, maybe not, but you are commanded to it. And there is a difference. Our task is to storm the gates of hell. Our target is people. Our friends, relatives, associates, and neighbors. That is what we are the church for. And notice as we continue what it says, Jesus not only, he doesn't just give us a task and say, all right, go do it. Notice he gives us ability. He says in verse 19, And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Stop and just let that phrase sit in a minute. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. You know, people think they're important when they carry a wad of keys in their pocket. You can tell some of those people sometimes because they'll put them on a little chain and hang them from their belt. And they're walking around with this big thing of keys. I talked to one guy, said, what are all those keys for? He said, I don't know. I just like carrying a lot of keys around. I remember when I was in high school, I became an assistant manager at Chick-fil-A and I had keys to Chick-fil-A. Let me tell you something. That is power. (laughs) When you can go into Chick-fil-A anytime you want and get a sandwich, that is power. I remember my dad first handed me the keys to his car. I have come along. Well, All of that is just just nothing because you know what God has given you and I the keys to the kingdom of heaven. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, they are at your disposal. What does that mean, though? Let's read on. He said, I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So our task is to do the work of God. Our target is to minister to people outside this building and inside this building. And our triumph is the fact that God has empowered us, enabled us to unlock the blessing and wonder of heaven to people who don't know Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ literally can unlock that heavenly gate. It can unlock the truths of God. It can unlock the spirit and blessings of God. The Bible tells us in Ephesians that... For the believer, we have in our abundance and our use the riches of grace and of heaven. We have the keys of the kingdom that unlocks that for the unsaved. And that as we communicate the gospel, and and as we open the truth, truth is binding, truth is the the bottom line. And you have the truth, the good news, those are the keys of the kingdom. And how many all of us as Christians, as soon as we walk out on Sunday morning... (laughs) take our keys and leave them here as though we'd never had them to begin with and we go about and do our thing. Where's the triumph in that? Where's the power in that? It's little wonder that churches are struggling because of COVID or because of this and that. Listen, there have been epidemics before. There have been wars. There have been famines. There have been trials. We are the church of Jesus Christ. We are built on Christ. We are established on Christ. And we have the work of Christ to do. So we find that to be what a real church is. And it is not internally tangled. Oh my goodness, folks, we get so caught up in little issues at church. Here the world is dying and going to hell and we're worrying about... Where the flags go or we're worried about how much money goes here. or We're worried about uh, What color to paint the wall or where we have business meetings? I remember when I first took the to church. It took us three months to buy a ladder Do you know how stupid that is? We'll invest we'll look we'll, and people are dying and going to hell. Let me tell you something very quickly understand this your neighbor may or may not know Jesus Christ. We're in the middle of a COVID pandemic. What would happen if your neighbor got COVID and passed away and you never told them because you were too busy doing church work? What about your fellow student at school? I remember when I was a senior in high school, I had a couple of buddies. They got in a car accident coming home from a football game. They were all killed. And to this day, I regret that I never got to share the gospel with them. Because I knew I don't know, they may have been saved, but I don't know. We have got to stop playing the church. We have got to stop pretending to be the church. We have got to stop doing the church. And we have better start being the church. And I know you can remind me all day long of my responsibilities, Mike Brooks, Aaron's, Richard's. But for the next few weeks, I'm going to share with you what all of our responsibilities are as a church member. What God expects us to be. Young and old, male and female, no matter what race, no matter what gender, no matter who you are, rich or poor, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are the church and we should be engaged in Christ, not in trivialities because this church is erected by Christ. It's not up to me. It's not up to you. It's up to him. We yield and let him do the work. Because it should be built on Jesus Christ. Tom Rainier shares this in his book. Let me close with this. He says this. He says, we join churches expecting others to serve us, to feed us, and to take care of us. We don't like the hypocrites in the church. But we fail to see our own hypocrisies. God did not give us local churches to become country clubs where membership means we have privileges and perks. You know it's interesting yesterday morning, I had the humbling privilege of sharing the Word of God with pastors and Christians in the Far East. Through Zoom, I was asked to bring a message to churches and pastors in India, in Sri Lanka, and Nepal. And toward the end, I found out that there were 448 people listening. Had I known that, I'd have been a way lot more nervous. (laughs) But in the midst of all of that, they did testimonies before and after the message. And they had this young couple and they were on the Zoom camera and they came up and this young couple, very sweet, very smiling, radiant. And he was a pastor in Nepal. He and his wife and family. And Abraham Thomas, who facilitated all of this, was asking them to share, you know, what's going on in Nepal. And they both, with smiles on their faces, said, God is blessing. God is moving our church. We're seeing people saved and everything. And they were just going, gushing over all the things the Lord was doing. And Abraham Thomas then said, what can we pray for for you? And I remember the wife looked at the camera and said, pray for us because food is scarce. We worry about all sorts of things. And here we have a couple who are being the church. They don't have any buildings. They don't have any boards. They don't have any budgets. And she said, Food is hard to come by, it's scarce. But she said it gleaming with the smile. I tell you, it was hard to go home and even eat lunch after that West Concord Baptist Church let me tell you something we have it better than we could ever fully imagine and we are not doing nearly enough with what God has given us we are the church Rainer closes with this he says he placed us in churches to serve to care for others to pray for leaders, to learn, to teach, to give, and in some cases, to die for the sake of the gospel. That's why the church is here. So I leave you with one last challenge this morning. My brothers and sisters in Christ, West Concord Baptist Church, do you have the courage to be the church? For additional sermon resources and to find out who we are, visit us online at westconcordchurch.com. Thanks for listening.